hey, uh, remember when you ran out of all possible sources of nicotine and uh, you started doing Afghan chew? Oh, caught. <laughs> that was a drug. That was not Afghan. That was not tobacco. There was an airplane taking off on the packet and I didn't put two and two together until I started getting withdrawal symptoms. Yeah, you were definitely getting high on whatever is in caught. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is what we give to the kids. Like, they, they, <laughs> this is what, you know, the teenagers, no, the preteens took this stuff, and it would just lay me out on my ass, and it felt so good. It was a, a really nice nicotine replacement. It was, you were definitely getting high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mache. And I'm Matt. And this is episode two of Veteran X. So Mache, how long have you been out? Uh, nine years. Got out in 2009. Got out and went straight into uh, school, Carlton U. Right on. Um, how did it feel knowing that you were going to be leaving the military? It felt so good. I got to be honest. Like, I did what I came into the Army to do. I got my tour under my belt, you know. Um, so you felt like accomplishment at the yeah, end of it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, f- fuck, I came back with all my limbs and, uh, you know, the the check mark in the box that, you know, I did my tour and... Um, also I was so tired, I was tired of the army and I was so looking forward to school and, oh, seeing girls, like just going to university and seeing girls that were seven years younger than you. Were they? Oh, I swear. (laughs) I thought they were around my age. No. And I got to tell you like that, that got me really excited. I bet it did. Yeah. How was your first year? On Civvy Street. I mean, my life was an entire distraction at that point. I bought a house uh, with my tour money, Mm -hmm. which I highly recommend. Uh, Considering most people buy a big screen TV, a truck, and shovel the rest of it up their nose. You know what's funny? Like, (laughs) I actually had enough money to, you know, blow it on some hookers and and you did not (laughs) no but i had some money to blow and i still had enough for a down payment on a house this was the downturn by the way like 2009 uh and uh the economy was in the toilet Mm -hmm. and everyone was like sell sell and i came to ottawa i bought a house and i couldn't afford it like I, i had to lie i lied on my bank paperwork and i told them oh yeah i'm gonna be in the army for a while i can afford this house i had no idea how i was gonna pay for it so i became a landlord and rented out a bunch of rooms that's right and um and yeah it was which was interesting because i was just compounding my stress i didn't realize at the time how bad uh a state i was in because i was so excited and so busy and so distracted so what'd you do for work um honestly i just lived off the other half of my 
uh, tour money until you came to me one day and you're like, dude, you need a job and I have one for you. <laughs> That's basically what happened. You knew before I even knew that I would have to uh, start working and uh, you got me a job at uh, the Lafayette, which is just a bar around here sitting at the door, quote unquote, bouncing. Um, how did you find uh, reconnecting with your family? Yeah, um, I mean, my parents and I, I mean, we love each other, but we never saw eye to eye. You remember, my dad called me an idiot to you. He did. When I joined the army. I slept at Maciej's house the day that he, the the night before he joined the army, we went out to Barrymore's and had some fun. And... The best was your dad catching you smoking cigarettes with me around the corner. He came home late that night, oh, and the, his his car window rolls down, like in a Grey Poupon com- commercial. And your dad looks over and goes, "Goes, Mache," and then puts his hand up like, "What the fuck?" And then the window rolls back up, and he's like, "Oh, I'm in so much shit." Isn't that isn't that so funny that you like you're a a war-hardened veteran. Yes. You know, you've seen the worst that humans can do to each other. But you cannot smoke cigarettes you, much. Yeah. And in the U.S., it's worse. Like, you can't drink. No. You can take a guy's life, but you can't fucking drink. Anyway, um, yeah. So it's always been a complicated relationship. And, I mean, they didn't even know, though, but the Army saved me in a lot of ways, too. Like, I was heading down a shitty path before I joined anyway, so... Yeah, I don't think you were heading down any path. You were just like, no. what, am I, what am I even doing? Yeah, so, I mean, it gave me some direction and structure, which I needed. Were you able to foster healthy relationships, uh, like intimate relationships? I don't know if I still can do that, to be honest. No, I'm, I, it's hard. I, I don't... Why? I, I'm just not... I don't know if I was a romantic person and then that old adage that, you know, ideal or cynics or idealists that just have too much life experience uh, or if I was always just too cynical. But, you know, I've always tried to hide everything from everyone, yeah, including right now. Good luck getting anything out of me. <laughs> um, so a, a lot of guys, uh, when they get out, uh, end up... Uh, using a lot of uh, you know drinking and drug use. We talk, I know we talked about it in the last episode about me. Um, how, how was your first year? Did you end up turning to drugs and drinking? So I actually peaked in terms of drug and alcohol use when I was in the army. Okay, and I think that's true for a lot of guys. Yeah, um, because that culture is there. We don't like to talk about it. And uh, especially, you know, in public to the media, because we need to respect our guys, obviously. But, uh, I mean, I did a lot of ecstasy and went out and partied a lot. And I don't, I, for me anyway, my drug use peaked while I was in the Army. And then when I came out, yeah, I drank a lot more than I should have, for mm-hmm. sure. But it actually petered petered out and it, it was the opposite effect for me i think so like drinking and drug use was never used as a crutch for you for dealing with what we'll talk about after i mean i think drinking was um 
though, I mean, it's so confused, right? Like, what's what's too much? What's somebody who has an active social life? What's mm-hmm. somebody who's going to university mm-hmm. versus, uh, you know, somebody who isn't using alcohol as a crutch? Um, so you mentioned that you went to school. How is adjusting from being a soldier to becoming a student? Man, you just... You're laughing at everybody, right? I, I'll never forget just arguing with everybody and calling everyone dumb, especially when you're in political science. Like you I used was. to argue with your profs. Oh, yeah. I called one of my philosophy profs. Uh, what, what did I call him? I called him out in class. Oh, yeah. I said he was a jerk. <laughs> in the middle of like a 500 person, you know, one of those auditorium philosophy classes. And you could just hear the air getting sucked out of the room. And the best part of that story is that he thought, because it was near the end of the year, that this was like my big send off and I would never show my face again. So he ended that class kind of embarrassed. And then he like stared at me as I walked into the next couple classes because I really like it wasn't me doing some cowardly send-off. Anyway, but, I mean, it, it, that the reason I'm talking about that is it kind of goes to show you that I thought I was, like, hot shit. I thought it was cock of the walk. Yeah. Um, all these, you know, students and their theories and, you know, their n- no life experience whatsoever, and I just came back from Afghanistan. So, about Afghanistan, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about deploying. Yeah. Uh, so, what years uh, and uh, roto were you on? I went over as 5.5, which is in the battle group, which okay. is the, um, what is it, the NATO mission? No, the, uh, what's above battle group? Like the task force? Like you were there, you were there on like the administrative tour, right? Right. For people that don't know how these rotations worked, you'd have two rotations uh, a year for the battle group. So in 2008, that was 108 and 308. And then 208 kind of straddled the middle. Right. For the transition. For transition. So like, so headquarters and like command elements would be part of that larger, major, like middle tour. So you'd be there for eleven months, and we'd be there for two eight-month blocks with a with a block with a changeover in the middle, right? Right. And I, I should take a step back here. Like I wasn't actually originally assigned to go overseas. Mm-hmm. I almost. Uh, I mean, I don't want to sound like I was a, being a brat, but I basically walked in uh, to my warrant's office and said, "I'm I'm getting out." Like I, I've been here for a few years now and I'm not on this roto, not because I was being punished or anything, or they didn't think I was good enough. It just, you know, it was a cycle and I had missed whatever. Uh, and I said, I'm, I'm going to get out. Like, and they said, we like you. We want to keep you. How can we keep you? And I said, like, I want a tour. I want on this tour now. Uh, so that's how I got on. And I was, you don't know this, but I was so woefully underprepared. Like I got maybe a couple weeks of uh, the training, the pre-deployment training before they just slapped me in because they were expecting me to be at HQ the entire time. So let me fast forward a bit. HQ was a fucking hellhole. This, so this so isn't battle group. Is this, is this where you, so what were you doing at the beginning of the tour? So at the beginning of the tour, I was in CAF. Uh, sitting in HQ, um, 
what was I doing? My God, it was so pointless. Like it was just a redundancy for the sake of redundancy. Everyone hated it. We still, some of the guys I talked to, we, it was the worst tour you could possibly have because you're two levels away from any action or any sort of reason for being there other than just because you're right under the general, right? You're right under the main man who is, even he's bombing around Afghanistan, going from place to place, and you're just updating him on, you know, Intel, this, that. Uh, and I hated it. I couldn't stand it. I was That was the most depressed I've ever been in my life. So you were like a staff officer? Like you just provided information to the Not commander? even. Like I was an assistant to those guys since I was a SIGOP, right? Like we did nothing. To be honest, to be completely honest and with hindsight, we did nothing to be proud of. I don't want to take away from them, but that's that's how I felt. So I made it clear, like I am unhappy about this right now. So how many months are you there at this point in time where you're like, okay, that's three enough. or four months, I think okay. at that point. So it's been a while and <laughs> we get two, uh, two leaves because it's an extended tour, right? That's right. And they front loaded mine because I was young and didn't have family and didn't have kids. So three or four months and all my, uh, leave was gone at that point. Three months in. So <laughs> you can just imagine how horrible the rest of that tour felt. So uh, so that's that's a full eight-month tour, basically, without any break, if you've done all of your leave in the first three months. Yeah, basically. If you have an 11-month tour. That's nuts. Yeah, but, but for my... <laughs> I don't know. Just because I was so lucky... Um, I guess they saw that, you know, I was unhappy and that I wanted to do something really different. Um, so what they cook up for you? So I'm, I'm not going to name names, no. but somebody was, and I'm not going to go into the details of how shit worked, but somebody was unhappy out and about in... Uh, behind you know out, outside the wire and they wanted to come back in and they needed a replacement and somebody suggested me and i was like yep send me out there so i got attached to uh some uh some reservists um in simic they were uh rcr4 guys out of toronto yeah and uh and i spent time with them outside the wire in um Hutal, Fob Hutal. And uh, that that's really where the sort of the meat of my experience is, is, you know, we did patrols around there. Uh, we went to village elder meetings and did security there. And I mean, that, that was a blast. Like I was the only SIGOP. I had my responsibilities. Uh, you know, I did my communications. And then the rest of the time was just another troop with a rifle and that's exactly what I wanted but you got to remember I was shitting myself because I had so little preparation yeah that and and I was honestly just going uh I was just uh what's the word I was uh spitballing I was 
making it up as I went along. Yeah, just like no, emulate the people that are around. Yeah, you, right? I had no clue what the fuck I was doing. Just shitting myself, trying not to look like an idiot. When did you first realize you had PTSD? I kind I didn't realize I had PTSD, but looking back, I knew that something was changing in my head after I went outside the wire and, you know, a couple of attacks on the fob in and you start having trouble sleeping. My first sort of sign was loud noises like somebody slams a door and you know, you lose your mind for a couple of seconds or um, you try to fall asleep and you can't, it feels like you're stopping, like your your breath stops and you kind yeah. of suck in air and your whole body jerks up. So at that point I knew, okay, something's wrong, but you know, you got to ignore it and push through it, right? Like that's kind of the mentality and the training is you just push through it. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how'd you deal with it? But it sounds like you didn't. No, you just ignore it. So once, once you realized that you had it, who was the first person that you told? Like, who did you open up to about it? And how long after, like, your tour? I think that you were... I didn't even tell you. You told me. I think I explained some symptoms to you yeah. not meaning to explain them as PTSD. I remember this conversation. And you were like, dude, you have fucking PTSD. And I said, oh shit. And even then, even then, I was like, I doubt it, but I might as well get this checked out, right? Mm -hmm. And uh honestly, you're the only person that I've had other than my psychologist, the, you're the only person that I've had an extensive conversation about this. Uh, with about PTSD about PTSD um, so we talked in the first episode about dreams that I that I had the re one reoccurring dream how was your sleep and what did you dream about so I rarely 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 remember my dreams but after coming back from tour and leaving the army I just I remember having dreams about Being in a situation where I had to be strong mm -hmm. is the kind of the common thread in these dreams. Um, having to be the tough guy, feeling like the weight of everyone, what everyone's expecting on my shoulders mm -hmm. and not wanting to be there. Like I'm feeling like I am not that guy, feeling like I'm faking something and and being in a dangerous situation for myself and for other people. Uh within this dream, which I mean is almost too on the nose, right? But it was yeah. never about the army. Like I remember one dream specifically was about some kind of drug war that I was like, I was part of a, you know, the jets instead of uh, the, what, what's the other gang called? The sharks. Yeah. Instead of the sharks, like, except it wasn't a, a musical. It was actually in gangland and, you know, they were in, they were coming into our territory and then I had to be the tough guy, the fucking Scarface, uh, to, to push them back and to kill a, you know, kill a couple gang guys. It's all about the theme of your dream, right? Not right. really what's happening. It's right. about what you feel, right? Exactly. Um, so how are your energy levels? You know, we, we talked about how you were tired of being in the army. You were just so finished. Like, did that continue on when you got out? Like, did you feel 
still really tired by your life and what you were what you were doing? Yeah, I mean, at first I felt really optimistic and energized and happy actually. Uh, you know, I felt I felt like uh, there was the world was my oyster and uh, I even did yoga like I fuck I you know, I I tried to really pull myself together and for me it wasn't an immediate uh slow um fall into PTSD and its symptoms for me it was actually a bit of a roller coaster where I would be at a high point and then uh come down a, a little lower and then go back up and then and it was like almost like a stock market crash that wasn't a crash it was like a uh, a really weird um, pattern that happened to me. You had like emotional recessions. Yeah, it, and it was over like a year or two, right? Like it, it didn't bloom, it didn't blossom right away for me. Like the symptoms were there, but the this sort of crash into uh, a shitty life happened over a couple of years. Did it change what you were passionate about? Yeah, I mean, I came back and I used to... You know, all the timelines are getting muddled in my head, but I, I remember being interested in stuff when I left high school. And then when I came back, I just, I didn't see the point in a lot of stuff anymore. I, I've i always been kind of a nihilist and uh, I, it's hard for me to find meaning in a lot of things, but I just, I, I didn't want to try anything. I didn't want to do anything. And that that wasn't the guy I was before. So you're out of the military, you know, you're in school, uh, you know, you've never been somebody, you know, that's, you know, comfortable, I suppose, with, you know, intimate relationships and your family. So like, what does a bad day look like for you? You know what I mean? Now. I've, I've never been so in tune with PTSD as you are with yourself. For me at the beginning, it just, it combined with anxiety and so much fear that uh, I never wanted to do anything. I never wanted to go anywhere. I never had any passion to do anything because of fear of going out in the public, fear of driving. I don't know if I ever told you about that, but I was terrified of driving for a while. And I wasn't even the, you know, I wasn't the driver overseas. And it just didn't make any sense to me. It just... A lot of stuff where maybe it's because I was responsible for leading a vehicle or leading a group of people, mm. you know, putting in being in those positions just set me off for some reason. So like a bad day is like you wake up and you don't want to get out of bed? No, I would see I was never that bad that I I've heard stories about people, you know, spending all day in bed. Um, it just it was I feel like I have so much to offer, <laughs> you know, like I can be so productive and yeah. a bad day for me was watching videos all day while I put around the house. Like it, it, it wasn't, it basically amounted to being in bed all day, but not actually being in bed all day. Do you think there's like something like in the military ethos that kind of like eats at you when you're not being productive? Like when you're in the forces, not only do you have like, not only are you very productive, for the most part, but you're like, you've got somebody to tell you what your direction is. Do you think that like, you almost like kind of like your old military self, like kind of jacks 
you know, the new you up when you're not being productive? Like, do you feel that that's like a driver for, and like you get down on yourself when you're not productive? I think if the blame is to go anywhere, it's probably my dad (laughs) and maybe, maybe exaggerated by the military because my, you know, the military is basically my dad on steroids. Yeah. Um, Your dad was in the Polish military. Yeah. I mean, you'll never, you'll, your aspirations and your accomplishments will never be good enough for Eastern European parents. Like let's, Let's clarify that. Um, so I think that was already part of my Catholic guilt and shame and, uh, you know, the values that my, my parents instilled in me. And, yeah, probably exaggerated by the military, too. But also, I mean, maybe I'm being too hard on myself, but, I, you know, I, I really think we got to keep moving forward. We got to be productive and do things. And if you're just watching videos all day, man, like, what's the point of that? So what does a good day look like for you now? I did seek treatment Mm. because of you, basically. Uh, I went to see a psychologist. And to be honest, I don't know if I was honest enough with her and myself to get as much out of it as as you have. That was my problem, though, too, right? Like, for the first, like, six years that I was seeing another psychologist, I was not completely honest. and. Like they can only deal with what you give them, right? And and for me, honestly, the turning point was long past um, uh, finishing up with my psychologist, and I had uh, a relationship fall apart. And then I just got angry, like really, like really, really angry in a productive way. I mean, in a dangerous way. I have to say, it could have gone uh, in a really bad direction, but I for whatever reason i'm super lucky and i took that anger and i just i I rebuilt my life i rebuilt the person i wanted to be and the anger counteracted all the fear like all that fear was stopping me from being the person i wanted to be you know like I wanted to be the guy who went on adventures. I wanted to be the guy who left the house and did things and, you know, get their motorcycle license. And I I started slowly becoming the guy that I was in high school that I forgot how to be that guy. I felt like once I got through treatment as well and I started reclaiming, you know, who I was, it was almost like, continuing on from like the person that you were before i mean fuck we went to war we volunteered during you know the 2000s not you know this the 40s where either you went to war or you know you were a piece of shit and uh, your town would reject you no one really cared as much in the 2000s about you know going into a war zone as it was during the glory days let's say not in canada anyway not in canada so you know there's something fucking special about that um inside of ourselves i think we don't give ourselves enough credit um and i mean we are i think too humble sometimes but yeah you know there's there's gotta be a, a mache or a mat that 
pushed us into joining the army and we had options you know like we were could have gone to school i did go to school i dropped out of school uh out of university to join um and yeah there's there's something about that drive and who we are that that must have pushed us into that situation that we lost along the way so now that you've kind of reclaimed who you are and are I, I suppose that it's always a project like the, the, the like you're, you're building yourself is always a project but how do you feel now that you're on the like track to being the person that you want to be I feel a lot better uh, but I mean it's never finished you know I I have days where I'm down and I'm thinking what am I doing with my life and what's the point um, me too man yeah and I mean, who knows? <laughs> Is it worth it? I don't know. Um, I I just kind of, I'm hoping for something better. And I think everyone is, right? Like you just take it a day at a time and I'm schemy. Like I try to scheme, like how can I get ahead? You know, <laughs> that's, that's the best way to put it is like, I'm trying to come up with little schemes. I'm that weird uncle who's like, oh yeah, you know, let's try this or let's try that. Maybe, you know, this will get me ahead in life or that. And I got a good job. I, I just realized how much money I made the other day. And, it, you know, it's a good amount. Does that make me happy and satisfied with my life? Fuck no. I no. want to keep going. I want to do stuff, you know. And, and I think that's part of what makes us who we are is that drive that, we, you know, for something more. We want something more. Is that what made you get help? Is that drive for more? Yeah. I, I didn't want to be... Uh, hamstrung uh, for I think you and I are kind of like strategic thinkers right yeah you know, we think in terms of strategy and we knew we knew that if we wanted to accomplish the things we wanted to or just to get as far as ahead as we could that we had to do something that you know we were missing a piece of us that uh, could have could help us and we needed to get that back so like what worked for you then like you felt like things had kind of slipped away and that you wanted to reclaim yourself. So like, what was like the thing that you held on to that? I mean, for me, it was being more disciplined with my time and my energy. So it was like a conscious effort. Yeah. And also not giving a fuck, like not about. worrying about what other people thought. And it's so hard. And and I'm not saying that you can just turn a switch and, some days are easier than others, but for me, pushing past the worry of what other people think or failing, and I mean, these are not just PTSD-related things. These are life things, but I think PTSD exaggerates those things. It just makes it that much harder. So what motivates you to succeed now? I, I want to see how far ahead I can get in life uh, and how what experiences are there for me. And uh, like I said, every day is different. And some days it's like, what's the point? But then other days after the big payoff, right? Like after you've spent so long struggling, whether it's with school or with work or with relationships or even just planning a vacation right like you get there and it's like okay yeah this is this is what made it worthwhile this kind of satisfaction with the end goal are you a member of the legion no 
why? I was thinking about this uh, the other day, and I think the best way to explain why I'm not in the Legion and the simplest way is to say, I don't see any one like myself in the Legion. I, I've, I've gone a couple times, and I see you know, some reservists sometimes, some younger guys. Um, but I've never felt a connection with anyone at the Legion. And I don't see the point of joining a group of people that I can't even see myself connecting with. All right, so for our first shout-out, I figured that we would shout-out uh, VETS. So this is the Veterans Emergency Transition Service. This is a group of veterans helping other veterans find transitional housing. Uh, so these volunteers uh, patrol the streets of major cities and find homeless veterans and help get them into transitional housing uh, and access the services that are available to them uh, through things like Soldier On uh, and uh, through Veterans Affairs Canada. So we want to give a shout out to vets doing good things for other vets. They sound great. They're fantastic. Check them out. Okay, so if you're interested in uh, in joining us uh, on the podcast or you have any questions for Mache and I, you can email us at info at veteranx.ca. Make sure that you check us out on Facebook at VeteranX and check us out at veteranx.ca. Bye.